Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. We are continuing where we left off in our service. It is 12-5-2021. And we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, here we have the thought of the week. Starting with a verse from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. We must answer this from God's perspective. We cannot truly say what our state is. We must allow God to give us his view. Man, for the most part, does not allow God to tell him what he thinks. That is interesting since God is the one who can save us. Unless we stop for a moment and reflect on God's view of us, we would be under the delusion of our own arrogance. So, what about us? From all the glories expressed in Ephesians chapter 1, we know who we are now. But, let's think for a moment. Were we chosen because we are of noble blood? Maybe there is some good reason for God selecting us to live in this unique time where we would be united to his son. We explored the beginnings of our calling in chapter one from, quote, before the creation of the world, unquote. Now it is time for us to explore our earthly beginning. We need this information to keep us grounded. We need to hear from God concerning who we are and how it all happened. Our own self-identification is subjective at best and arrogant at its worst. We should listen to and hear from God. If God's opinion were the same as ours, then it wouldn't matter too much. When God's opinion is vastly different from ours, we should at least hear him out for the sake of objectivity. And that is the thought of the week, and I would like to offer a little commentary on that. Because it reminds me of Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus opens an invitation saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God the Father is the master planner, as we come to know. Jesus is his demonstrable word who executes on the plan. And the spirit of truth guides us into all truth. But we must be humble and listen. We may even have to change our our minds about God. That's actually sarcasm. (laughs) We will have to change our minds about God and ourselves when we take in his word into our hearts and minds. It can produce some anxiety when we learn we are not who we thought we were, but then when we carefully listen to God, we really discover where our rest, our peace, our joy, and glory beyond our imagination really come from. And that's my commentary on the thought of the week. And now for prayer, we'll turn it over to David. Thanks, Dwight. Do anyone have any special prayer requests to send up to the throne of the great? 
Yes, I want to um, uh, mention uh, my sister Gail Head and her family. Uh, we can continue to keep her in. Okay, let's bow our heads up to the throne of grace for God. Most Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, on this Sunday, Father, asking for prayers, for special requests for ones that we love, Father. Even for even for those who wanted to hear the gospel and refuse it, Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit, Father, to convict the hearts of those, Father. And also remember, also for more of us, Father, we come we come to you, Lord, from a position of truth and grace, Father. We ask you, Lord, Father, to look over those that we care for, those that are special needs. We ask you for a prayer for our church, Father, to hear the glorious, glorious things that you want us to hear, Lord. And we also, Father, we also come to you, Lord, as we remember that at all the attributes that we have, Father, the greatest respect is love, Father. So, Father, we come to you, Lord, to ask the Holy Spirit to protect our hearts, and also think about the path you had to give us, Father, on this Sunday, Father, so we can go in grace and earn our knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We ask you to know and all the blessings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And for his name's sake, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. And thank you, Dwight. Appreciate those words. Uh, we are continuing where we left off. We have notes and the notes on... This is our third lesson on John 17 and verse 3, which reads, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The richness of this prayer is not only found by examining what Jesus said to the Father, but also to step back and see Jesus' perspective we find that his understanding of his role in the plan is confirmation of the plan for us. He is mission-oriented and filled with love's devotion and commitment, which motivated him to fulfill the plan. Through this, the Father would be able to accomplish the goal of the plan for all things, which involves us in a most critical age, in this, in this most critical age. Quote, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, unquote. That's Colossians 2, 2 and 3. So this is where we are. We're taking another swing at these this one verse and the phrases therein. We're trying to make sure that when we walk away from this verse, that a lot of understanding um, is at least laid on the table for us to review. Uh, what are the implications uh, of this verse? What did Jesus mean? Why did he say these words? Uh, I like the phrase where uh, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So for him, for him to say that seems to me that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is very important. 
it's far more important than any words that come from my mouth. So what we want to do is keep our focus on the Word of God. And if God has said it and committed it to writing, well, it is super important for us to behold because, and, and that's what we're trying to do. It's because the words are so important. Uh, we don't want to just pass by them as frivolously um, as the world does. We want to take those words, understand what they mean in context, uh, give them a, a look. Just like it says, we shouldn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. God, or we should say it another word, uh, another way, God's word. We should be particularly careful to examine and make sure we understand its implications. That's what we do here, phrase by phrase. We're trying to make sure we see what God is saying. In each particular verse, they're all important. And this one we have paused on to take our time to look through. And we're just trying to make sure we understand all the implications that are here. And will we get all of them? No. I think what you get from this is dependent on your spiritual growth. The more you grow, the more you come into line with what the Word of God teaches you're orienting to the Word of God, which is the perspective of God, which teaches the plan of God. What is God all about? What does He, what does he want from us? All those questions are answered soundly in the Word of God as we give our attention to it. So we're, gonna, we're not going to repeat what we have already covered in the first two times we met. But this, <clears throat> I think where we left off is in point number two, where I'm just going to go all the way down to D, where it says the, the only true God. And we focused on that. And we gave five points, although we're not, we're not going to cover those five points again, but I just want to read them for, uh, so that we can uh, pick up to where we left off. So the only true God, the Father is the only true God. Does this make Jesus and the Holy Spirit less than God? So point one is first, there is no proper worship and prayer to God unless you are praying to the Father and according to his plan. We gave some scriptures for that. John 8, 44, where he chided the Pharisees because they were trying to say that they worship God and uh, Jesus did not and so forth. And they got into a skirmish and Jesus told them where they were speaking from. Yeah. And it says, he, the statement was, you are of your father, the devil, because you're doing the very works that he, he wants you to do. And if you were of God, the father, then you would love me because he sent me, right? Uh, anyway, uh, and then Ephesians 3, 8 through 11 talks about the father's eternal purpose. Point two, the father's plan. So, so hopefully you're getting that the only true God here is not a reference to the fact that Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is not, and Jesus is not. But it's a reference to 
the only plan that is on the earth. The only God that people can think of has to be in this way has to be through the Father's eternal purpose. If you don't know what that is, or if you're not familiar with at least part of it, that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, then you are mistaken. You, you, Whatever God you think you're serving, if it doesn't come this direction, through this means, there is no other God that you can have in this world, unless it's made by man, or what we would call idolatry. A man-made God. You, it's the only other way, uh, when we're talking about the only true God, all other gods are false. The only true God is one who is expressed in the Father's plan and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Any other thing falls short of the only true God. So let's keep that focus as we're Point number two, the Father's plan is the reason why all things exist. So if you don't know this, you know that the Father had a plan and that plan went into effect when he created all things through Jesus Christ. That's how it all began. If you want to talk about origins, then that's this is the origin that God tells us existed. And he even tells us why. Why? That's important to know. Point three, the other members of the Trinity also have the nature of God and are working toward the plan of the Father. So we covered this point, gave you the thought that all of this is, metaphorically speaking, much of this is language of accommodation, which is helping us understand what God wants us to know in terms we can understand. God necessarily has to talk down to us. Uh, that sounds demeaning, doesn't it? It's like if we were children. When you talk to a child, you got to talk down. You can't just talk whatever is on your mind. And if you wanted to tell the child something, you got to tell them in a way that you know that they're going to understand, that they have a frame of reference and context for. Because they're children. Children... Uh, you can communicate with them, but you've got to communicate with them using language that they understand. And that's what God does for us, too. It shouldn't, we shouldn't be um, bothered by that. Point four. There is only, only, uh, this, is, this is it. This is the only plan there is. And the entire Godhead is working toward that end. And I say, what about us? So, when you think about the eternal purpose of the Father, and they know the, what they're working toward, they knew what they were working toward when they put Adam and, and the woman in the garden. They knew what they were working toward when they created all things and restored the earth. They knew all that. They knew what they were working toward when they called Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and formed the nation Israel in and, and the desert. They knew what the, the, what the plan was. And uh, they, they understand. And when they called the church, they understood that they, it was time to reveal the plan. And when um, they, they gifted pastors and teachers to be able to teach, well, what do you think they were supposed to teach? What do you think God gifted them to teach? It would be the plan, right? <laughs> the plan that from the beginning of time, this is the only plan there is. So 
all of the members of the Trinity are working. Pastors ought to be working toward the same end as well. Uh, are we focused? Are we focused on the plan? And I gave 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23, because you can see where the Corinthians certainly were not. They should have been. It was a rebuke to them. But they should have been focused on what the plan was from eternity past. Instead, they were arguing about who's the best. Point five, remember this verse. And the verse I gave was John 5, 23, which we're not going to turn to it, but it is the verse that Jesus, it says that all may honor the Son in the same way they honor the Father. That's important. If you wonder who this Jesus is, who came as a man, was as it says, born of a woman, born under the law. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Well, who is this person who is a man, who came, who was born into the human race? Who is he? And we find that that person should be honored just as the father. Well, that's a lot to unpack. We're not going to go through the whole deal there, but we're going to stick to the context that we have. We have enough with the with the phrases that are ahead of us than to go off and talk about everything we want to talk about. To me, that's interesting, but we will stay with the context. So point E in our notes, the Trinity is not a man-made doctrine. I'm going to just stop for a moment. Because some people will point out, hey, did you know that the, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible? When I hear somebody say that, usually it is accompanied by their eyes and nose nostrils flaring when they say it. Their eyes bulging and nose nostrils flaring. They say, did you know that the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. <laughs> so in that, I just make the point, why not say it at this juncture when we talk about the only true God? Because people will say, well, that doesn't say the only true Trinity. It just says the only true God. We should know that the Trinity is taught in the word of truth. And we covered this in detail already. In those points above, especially point four, we covered this in great detail to show who is God and who, you know, and when we speak of God, we're talking about a nature. This may not have been as clear in the Old Testament as it is in the New, but now we know from for sure, and, and it was clear in the Old Testament from the very beginning, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, Genesis 1, 27. And, but we can know that there are persons of God as well as the nature of God. In the same way, we could say there are persons in the human race, each separate in identity. We even talk about every person has a unique fingerprint. Now, but we can go beyond fingerprints. We could say each person has distinct DNA patterns. Each person, of billions of people that are on the earth, 
we can distinguish and identify each person by unique markers in their DNA. That's amazing. Think about. And these are things Darwin never knew about when he talked about uh, the theories of evolution that he concocted. But we know about these things. Science knows about these things today. So this is, when we talk about persons, there are many persons in the human race, but there's only one human race. Either you're in the human race or you're not of the human race. You're a part of the human race. That means you have all these attributes that go along with the nature of being human. In the same way, when we examine God this way, and we are able to examine God this way according to what the scriptures have told us, that we know that there are different persons who, who have the nature of God. It is only extended to three persons that have the nature of God. That is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of them have the nature of God, but they are separate and distinct persons that have this nature. We can rightly call them all God. And so, how do we come up with such a thing as the Trinity? We came up with that through theology and what the Bible teaches. That's how we came up with it. So a person says, oh, it's not in the Bible. Yes, it is in the Bible, but it's not. You won't find the word Trinity. They are accurate to say that, but they are not accurate when, if we ask, is that what the Bible teaches? And the, that is what the Bible teaches. We can demonstrate that, right? We can go right to the scriptures and demonstrate that. So what we should do is we should bulge out our eyes and answer to this and flare our nostrils as well and say, yes, it's not in the Bible, the word Trinity, but the reality is that is what is taught in the Bible. Did you know that? Because it is. That is what is taught in the word of truth. And then that becomes even a greater understanding that we have the persons of God. And then we understand that the we say the second person of the Trinity, which is the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into the human race, and he's, we're talking about he's a person of God, but yet he's also, that person combined with the human nature, or the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, is a man. Uh, that goes beyond anything you could probably tell somebody who is telling you that the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Anyway, the, the point he says, the Trinity is not a man-made doctrine. It is the reality of God and is taught in the word of truth. So, so when we talk about the only true God, you're going to have people trying to tell you who that true God is. And this next verse says it best. This next phrase in point number three says it best because it identifies further how you can identify this true God. I mean, if it left it wide open, there's only one true God. Uh, this is, if we said that, all of the, a lot of religions, well, not, not those who are polytheistic, but those who are monotheistic, would be able to say, yeah, we know who that God is. 
Jews would say, yeah, this is the God, Yahweh, from, you know, uh, what we've learned in the scriptures. If they would reject the allusions to other persons in the Godhead, and they would object to the New Testament, where those persons are further defined. It, could be, it would be Islam. Islam would say, we have one true God. That's who it is. His name is Allah. And that's, uh, but they will not tell you anything about Jesus Christ or uh, they will not go into the detail. They will only say that the one, one true God is the person of one person. When we know there are more than one person who are God. But then even more than there are one person, this, le- this next phrase deals with an attribute, a qualification, when you think about one true God. He, they have to have this qualification. And we have the word, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So this is Jesus praying to the Father. He calls him the only true God. Really, he's saying, you're the only way. You're the the only plan, really, that exists. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. If it were not for the Father's plan, we would not be here because creation would not have been executed because the Father didn't have a plan. So were it not for this plan, nobody would be in existence right now. We wouldn't have any words to examine and to say whether they're true or not. Wouldn't be no one true God for us to consider because God would, he would exist, but he hasn't decided to create all things. But according to this plan that's in action, that we're here, we're talking about it, says to me, this is the only true God. This is the only plan. If they're not talking about this, as we read in Isaiah 8.20, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So, uh, first point in Jesus Christ whom you have sent is, Jesus says, this is what he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, when he's, and I, I qualify that by saying, this is the plan. That's John 14, 6. And this is church age information. Even Jesus is saying this, but this truth is related to church age information, not information for Israel. Israel, the destiny of Israel is the, is the world. Right? God is going to create whatever's happening. They're supposed to be in the world whether it's a new earth or a new, newly created earth on which Israel will continue to reside forever. But when it talks about, Jesus says there's no one way to the Father, he's talking about in heaven. And this is a place that Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Um, and would I be telling you this if it were not so? No, I, I wouldn't be telling you this. This is so. Believe in me just as you believe in God. Believe in me. And this, if Jesus Christ, he's literally saying, I, he acknowledges his role in the Father's eternal purpose. If you, dis, if you disavow, if you say that this is not true, 
then you are not worshiping the only true God. You are not worshiping the only true God if you disavow that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not saying that this way is made available or, uh, for, for all mankind. It's only available to some. But yeah, people are in heaven right now, but this is where we belong. Jesus, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That means this is where you're going to be. This is, this is your home, the third heaven, the abode of God. We spoke about that earlier. And, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, first of all, you got to come through Christ. That means you have to be in Christ in order for you to have right a right to be in uh, the third heaven. You have to come through the person of Christ. This is not a salvation passage. And just to know, the disciples who are upset and that Jesus was leaving, Jesus said, where are you going? I'm going to the Father's house. And this is in the third heaven. And right now you can't come, but you can come later. And how are you going to get there? We don't know the way. Well, yeah, you do. I am the way. Truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So going to the Father, which is the third heaven, the place of God, the abode of God, is a part of the plan for the church. Right? That's part of our destiny, that we are heavenly beings. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 details that in a special way for us. It's part of the plan. It's the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If you don't acknowledge that, then I'm sorry. You're not worshiping the only true God. You are worshiping, all right, but it is not the only true God. So that's the plan. That's that's not a salvation. I know it's used for salvation. And listen, in my years past, I will tell you, I have used this for salvation as well. And it's true that you can't be saved. The only way you can be saved is through Jesus Christ. That is true. But that's not what John 14, 6 is dealing with. It is true. If we just take the words and say, is that those words true if we relate them to salvation? Yes. Christ says, I'm the only way anybody can be saved. If you don't believe in Christ, then you're not saved. If you believe in Christ, you have salvation. So yeah, it's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That's Jesus Christ. That's it. So, but it's not the context. And if we use it out of context, are we handling the word of truth accurately? The answer would be no, we're not. Because this verse is teaching something else. Why don't we teach what the verse is teaching? Who do we think we are? We can control the words any way we want. If we do, then we don't have humility toward the word of God. If we take whatever words we want, might as well get a dictionary and say, because there's lots of words in there and we can frame them however we want. It says it right here in the dictionary, this word. I'm going to put it over here because I wanted it to be in this sentence. And then we're the author of that. But the author of the word of God is God. So it's the plan. That's what it's related to. It's not the plan for Israel. 
It's the plan for the church. So look at the context. Examine the verses before and after. It's pretty easy to do. And allow the word to tell you what's being said there. Point B. If you think you know the only true God, but do not know Jesus Christ, sent by the Father, then answers straight up, I'm just going to say it, you do not know God. Now that sounds arrogant for somebody to say, you don't know God. That's tough to say. This person, who are you to say, I don't know God, right? I know God, I worship God, I've been good, I've done things for God. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, sent by the Father. You don't know him. That's what this verse is saying. The only true God. And if you miss this part, then you don't know God. And just, just, let's just illustrate it. 1 John 2. Let's, let's look at the scripture. I'm going to 1 John 2, 22 to 25. Okay, let's, let's take a look at this. See what it offers us. 1 John 2, 22 says, Who is the liar? Well, that's a great way to start because we need to know who the liar is. If, if we can identify who the liar is, then we cannot be deceived by their lies. We can know the truth. Who is the liar? Okay, it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. We talked about the Antichrist uh, in the previous session of Q&A. So we're not going to go over that. But the thought is, the person denies that Jesus is the Christ, right? Because the Father is the one who sent Jesus as the Christ. And if you're saying, no, he didn't send Jesus as the Christ, then what are you saying? You're saying that the Father did not, and you're a liar, because that's not true. Because the Father did send Jesus as the Christ, demonstrated that Jesus was the Christ, sent him to the cross to die for all of our sins. He's the Christ. And that's what John's, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe that Jesus, in Jesus, as the Christ. You, this, these, this information is it's not just some secret. God demonstrated it publicly that Jesus is the Christ. Signs, the wonders, the miracles, the many things that Jesus did demonstrate this fact. So, 22, who is a liar who denies, who is, it's the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. They're resisting Jesus as the Christ. They're resisting this point. So what does that mean? Denying the Father and the Son. So you got a lot of people who are claiming they know God, the only God, the only true God, but they are denying that Jesus is the Christ. So what does that effectively do? You are denying the Father and the Son. You can't have one without the other. You can't say you believed in the Father, but yet you reject the Father's plan. 
which is to send his son. Can't do that. That's, you're a liar if you do that. So obviously you, you definitely uh, need, to, you need to have a rebuke here because this is the dividing line between those who believe and those who don't. 23, let's state that another way so people don't get confused. No one who denies the son has the father. <laughs> there it is. You deny the son, but you claim you have the father. There's religions that claim that there's only one God, and that's it. But they deny the son. Uh, that's bad. Because if you deny the son, we already said you deny the father. So point 23 says, verse 23, no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. So there it is. Even if you... And I like what um, John 5, 24, he that believes him who sent me, Jesus is saying that, he, who, he that believes him who sent me has eternal life. Well, he, Jesus is saying, you don't just, it's just, even if you believe in me, I get that, but you are really believing in the word of the Father who sent me. That's what you believe. When you believe in me, you're believing him who sent me. That's what he's saying. Has eternal life, right? So if you if you deny the Son, then you don't have the Father. You don't believe in the Father. If you acknowledge the Son, then you also have the Father, right? That's the Father's plan. Verse 24. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and the Father. So this is just like what we have saw, we have seen in John 15. Remember, if you abide in this in me, then my words will abide in you. Right? The Father will abide in you, and all of that. This is church age information of how you stay in fellowship, focused on the Father and the Son, right? Allowing them to teach you. I remember what we read in John 14, 23, right? If, if you, if you um, believe, well, and it didn't actually say believe. Let me just, because it talks about, I'm going to John 14, hold your finger. 14, 23 says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. And that, that's what happens. And so this verse in John, 1 John here, is a reference to abiding in Christ, right? If you don't abide in him, then you, uh, you are cast forth as a branch that is withered. So it's not talking about salvation per se. It's talking about people who are saved. What they have is abiding in Christ. So these false teachers were uh, approaching John's congregation and had gained uh, ascendancy as teachers and they were false teachers. And John said, no, this is, this is how you can know them. This is how you know who the liar is amongst you. They're going to deny that Jesus is the Christ. They're going to claim that they got the Father, but uh, if they don't have Christ, they don't have the Father, right? This is the language that is used. We're going back to our notes. Okay, so point... C in our notes, 3C. 
There are many religions in the world worshiping many gods, but the only true God is known only through Jesus Christ. Now, that, to me, that's unique. Can you limit? And look at all the religions in the world. Just look at them. Review all the religions in the world. Can you identify who the only true God is? And it's only through Jesus Christ. Now, people can acknowledge that all they want. That's what we will deal with in the next phrase. But really, these factors here eliminate many of the religions. Now, it doesn't eliminate the many people who are saying one thing, but really is not where they're coming from. But it does actually eliminate a lot of religions who would refuse this on the surface. They will say, no, it's Jesus Christ thing. No, no, no. He's not the savior of the world. No, you don't have to come through Jesus Christ. I mean, I was raised, they're going to say Muslim, or I was raised something else. I'm not going to tell you that only way is through Jesus Christ. I'm not going to confess that. No way. So they're denying that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. And the only way of salvation is through him. So in Acts chapter 4 <clears throat> and verse 12, it's a very bold statement. And I'll just read it. I think we have read it before, but uh, why not read it again? Acts 4 and 12 says it this way. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Wow. I would say it takes courage to say, I mean, that is a bold statement to make in the midst of people who are Gentiles that have many other gods. That's a bold. In fact, that's what it says in the next verse. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. I mean, this is for you. You could say this, and you can even say this in the world today. And people will look at you strange. They will say, Whoa, what did you say? You're saying. Uh, I don't agree with that. I don't think I agree with it. Now, you know, it's okay for people not to agree with this because they have a choice to make. But God, the Holy Spirit, wants them to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Yeah, that's one of the things of sin because people do not believe in me. That's John 16, 8. Yeah. Or 8 through 11. You can find it there. So it's found in no one else. That's exclusive. No one else other than the name of Jesus Christ. That's the one where salvation is found. No one else. No other name. I don't care what, uh, what else you do, you, you can't have a salvation. And that means... We need salvation because everyone is lost in Adam. Every single person. doesn't matter what your religion is. doesn't matter what you were raised under. You're lost. And you need salvation. And the only way you can get it is through one person. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. 
And also, what do we have? John 17, 22 to 27. So that's where we are. John 17, 22 through 27. Jesus is speaking. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity and that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Uh, and so, righteous Father, though the, the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. So there, there you have it. Uh, testimony where Jesus is saying, no, the world doesn't know you, but I know you. And the, the purpose of all of this is that they may come to know what you have done in me. Those are important factors as we think about Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. And the uniqueness that we have in the church age goes far beyond those basic principles. Point D, point D. Jesus said, many honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. So we have uh, Matthew 15, 8. That's what he said. Uh, many call on the Father. This is another thought. Many call on the Father today, but do not understand the Father's plan. So, so let's just read Matthew 15, 8 and 9, since we made reference to those two verses. Let's just read it. 15, 8 and 9. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So notice, we can be duplicitous. We can say one thing and mean another and, and completely not uh, hold to the thing we said. So on the outside, we can appear as one way, but on the inside, there could be other motives for us saying those things. So Jesus said, yeah, they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So for God, you're not going to just pay lip service. And a lot of people do that. You know, it's like saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, but you maintain your system of works. If you do that, then you, you are not believing in Jesus Christ. Because that means you're trusting the matter of your soul salvation to him. But in your heart, you're saying, I'm going to maintain, I'm going to be good. I'm going to prove to God that I'm worthy of salvation through my works. Those are two mutually uh, opposing things that are said. One, one is, you're never going to be able to synchronize those things because they're opposing one another. One, you're saying, I believe in Christ, grace, no works. On the other hand, you maintain in your heart that you are depending on your works. You can't have it. Most uh, most people, oh, oh, the word I was thinking, they're mutually exclusive. One excludes the other. 
That's how we, the way we think about it. So people honoring with their lips, on the one hand, yeah, I believe in Christ, but in their hearts, they're far from Christ. Now here he was talking about the Jews, obviously. They, they didn't believe in Christ, but yet they were smiling in his face, all this, right? How do we know this? Verse seven, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you. And this is way back in the Old Testament. You can get this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But what's the result of that? If they're just saying that, yeah, we believe in the one true God, but we don't believe in Jesus Christ. We don't really honor him. Remember we read that verse earlier that all should honor the son even as they honor the father. Why? Because it's Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and you dishonor the Father by your disrespect and rejection of his Son. What, what's the result of all of this? Like I said, the people do it today when it comes, if you, you, you push this forward and, and you talk about the Father's plan, right? many people call Father in their prayer, Father this and Father that. They're asking the Father, but they don't acknowledge Jesus Christ. Or they might even just say, God, God, we're praying to you. And whatever name they give them. But if they don't acknowledge Jesus Christ, what does verse nine say? They worship me in vain for nothing, to no good end, to no purpose. I mean, we don't want to really do anything. We don't have a lot of time here. We don't have time to be doing things for, to no good end. Their teachings are merely human rules, stuff they made up. That's what they're honoring and they're worshiping. That makes them feel good, but they're not considering God. They have no humility towards God. Teachings are merely rules, human rules. It's not what God told them to do. It's just stuff they feel they want to do because of their own importance. Point E. So the plan has three important features, three. We're gonna name them here. And this is the plan from the Father who is the only true God. When you think about that, there are three important features about that plan. Now, not to say that the world may know every feature, because remember, part of it, of human history, was it was hidden, the purpose of the Father, the eternal purpose of the Father. It was hidden. It was not known, it wasn't revealed. But some of it was revealed from the very beginning, and that is the salvation, right? So we're going to talk about the three things that are important to understand the understanding of the only true God. Point one is the salvation of all who believe in Christ. Before and after the cross, giving eternal life to all who trust in him. That's an important feature. Because we just said that, right? And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We, we talked about what it meant, what Christ's plan, uh, what Christ's role in the plan is all about. Right? It's, it's very clear to, to Jesus and others that he was, he, he was the only uh, way that anybody could be saved. This, this is before the cross. People who were before the cross looked toward the point when Christ would come and pay for the sins of the world, who would die for them. It's another way of saying it. Christ would die for them, like the animal sacrifice, like the substitute that would die 
because of their sin. It was taught early on from the very beginning of time. And, and so giving eternal life to all who trust in them, not just those in the past, but anybody who's in the future, they have to believe in Jesus Christ. God has not refined this in some way where now you can be saved some other way. You still have to believe in Jesus Christ. That is the only way of salvation. And that's the first point. And then the second one is the Father is now able to bring many sons into glory through Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 1, 3 through 9. And that's what the Father is able to do. Let's read it. Why not? Uh, let's read Ephesians 1, 3 through 9. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose him, <laughs> he chose him, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So, so there you have it from start to finish, from where we are today. We can know that the salvation of all who believe in Christ, right? Before and after the cross, we, we saw that about Christ, but now the Father is now able to bring from the work of Christ that he did on earth, he's able to bring many sons into glory through Jesus Christ. And we saw how he chose us in him, he blessed us. And this is before time began and he chose us in him uh, before the creation, all of that is to speak of the equipping of the church and our destiny. And nobody knew about this information. No one knew that this was going to be the plan until it was revealed to us. Point number three. And finally, the revelation of the plan by the Holy Spirit to those destined to be in Christ. And this is, uh, people don't believe, you know, a lot of people make Pentecost out to be uh, some emotional experience where they are missing that a, it was a dispensational change and that God now established the church and uh, baptism of the spirit, baptized everyone who was alive and saved into the body of Christ and and there was some transition period in Acts, for sure, but all of that is part of the plan, right? This is, if you deny these things, then you are not worshiping the only true God. I mean, this, these are things that the Holy Spirit has led us to, to come to understand. So it is not, uh, you know, a test. We, we're going to take these three points and uh, tell people, hey, if you believe in these three points, then you are worshiping the only true God. But this is for us to know. But we have tests. Uh, the first point is 
the point that the whole world knew from the beginning where Adam and the woman failed, that there was salvation through the seed of the woman who was to come. And point number two is for those in the church now, now that we're in the church, well, this is the truth. It's out. People should know it. Now, this is not a thing for, um, a test for unbelievers to know, but once you are a believer, this is, this is listening to the voice of the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who is guiding us into all truth. So, we're going to conclude this verse, which says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So hopefully we, we have some better understanding of this verse. We are going to continue next week and there's a lot more for us to focus on in the verses uh, to come. So let us think forward as we head on to the next verse which says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Let's bow our heads as we close this week out. Thank you, Father, for such a privilege to understand the distinctions of the plan. And not only that, but understanding who you are in detail so that we cannot be deceived in this world and not be led astray by those who lie and do not speak according to your word. So we thank you for your grace which is the, the master plan to be able to save all mankind who would believe, to pay for the sins of the world, to set Jesus Christ up as the righteousness that is freely bestowed to anyone who would simply believe in him and have faith in your son. So we thank you for not only the plan, but the, the bringing the many sons into glory as your plan continues into this new dispensation, we are right here, Father, focused on your word. And we thank you for providing not only your word, but the direction which we are to travel in this world. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.